You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, every team's looking for depth, and I think we're seeing from the Bruins, at least up front, that they have it. Um, certainly, they're being tested even more on defense right now uh, with. McAvoy, we still haven't heard any official word on his appeal. Um, I guess we're we're gonna have to hear Wednesday. Like, did they can only shave one game off at this point? So either he's still suspended for Thursday or he's not. My guess is he still will be. Um, but we know Grizzly on long term IR and Forbert still out through the road trip. We'll see about Thursday. But um, yeah, interested in what you guys thought of. Lori, Wotherspoon, Mitchell, all three of them um, Monday, unless you had, you know, further thoughts on the forwards. It, Mitchell reminds me kind of like a little bit of Clifton. He's kind of robust and a little bit just kind of uh, he's, he's a little bit all over the place. He's okay. You know, he's, but uh, I thought he was fine. Wotherspoon, I, there was a play where he just like had an opportunity to hit a uh, Robert, Jason Robertson at the blue line and just, skated like didn't make contact with him and Robertson had a great a scoring chance or led to a great a scoring chance so again like I kind of said last episode I'm my attention's more on Lori and, and and how he's doing um I see the other two as just placeholders but I see Lori as a potential fixture and I would say that I'm glad that he scored his first goal I'm glad he got his first point against Toronto he's clearly producing offensively he's helping the team win and I would also say I'm glad he's making mistakes and I'm glad that he's learning at the NHL level. Like this is kind of the give and take bridge. I think you mentioned that off the top, like there's a, there's a give and take there and I want that to happen. Like you need to learn through those mistakes. And I think the Bruins hopefully will allow him to continue to, to, to learn those tough lessons, but he's also still helping them win games too. So um, it's been a little Jekyll and Hyde, but I just still think the offensive upside and upside in general far exceeds some of the his his mistakes i know some have been costly but let it let it happen let him learn i would say of those three guys the detroit game was collectively the worst game for each one of them um i think they all looked a little bit more on solid footing in the game against dallas the the d uh, pairings were rotated a lot um, everybody played a little bit of time with everybody. It felt like, um, I would say that of Mitchell Witherspoon and Lori, 
Mitchell has been the most consistent. Um, Laura has had his ups and downs, which he had higher highs. Obviously, he's he's got two points in those three games, a goal and an assist. Mitchell, I think just though he's, he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of upside, I think he's more consistent uh, defensively, and he can jump into the offense. Weatherspoon, you just – you just hope that he doesn't make some bad reads and, and th- give the puck away uh, in the wrong situation. So um, that's really my thoughts on those three in the three games that they've come in to replace a McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Forbert. Yeah, I think, I think Wotherspoon and Mitchell were okay Monday against Dallas. Brian, I agree with you. Like they're, they're just placeholders. Mitchell, Maybe six around as a seventh defenseman, which he was to start the year just because, you know, he, he can step in. He has some NHL experience. Um, Jim Montgomery obviously likes him. But, um, yeah, but he, he is – he can be a little bit reckless, though, and, and take some chances he doesn't doesn't really need to take. But I think he sort of feels like he has to because he kind of has that label of, like, well, he's sort of the more offensive defenseman. And, you know, it's like that's supposed to be part of what he brings. Um, but you want it you want it to be controlled. So Lori obviously is the most interesting of the three. And I'm also okay with, like, letting him make mistakes at the NHL level and learning from it but it has to stay within reason. And I think what you saw Monday is clearly there were a couple too many for Jim Montgomery to trust him down the stretch. And, you know, it's kind of telling when Wotherspoon and Mitchell are still getting shifts in the final five, 10 minutes of the third period. And Laura is not like, that's not, that's not a great sign. Like part of what he's going to have to prove at this level is that, he can be trusted in those situations and help them preserve a lead down the stretch in a one or two goal game. Um, I'm interested. I'm curious if you guys had any problem with the benching because this, when I tweeted out that he had only had one shift in the last 12 minutes, there were a lot of reactions of like, I thought we were done with this when, you know, when they moved on from Cassidy, uh, you know, what is Montgomery doing at this crazy, like one mistake and he gets benched. And my counter is like, it, it wasn't one mistake. It, it was a couple on Monday night. And it was also a couple on Saturday. Like he has, yes, we've seen the flashes offensively, but um, you know, the, some of the defensive miscues and misreading plays in transition. Uh I don't want to say like I don't want to like exaggerate, but there's there's been like four or five of them now. It's not like it's only been one or two. I don't think it was so like what they're referring to is Cassidy like benching people to send a message. I think this was a, like a functional benching. Like this wasn't a send you a message only kind of benching. It was like okay, I'm going to put the guys out there that are are going to help us hold on to this um, this game because things were starting, the wheels were starting to fall off. Things were getting close. It was a, a nail biter to the finish. And you're, you know, you're putting the guys out there that you think are going to be a, better at shutting down the Dallas offense. And if you haven't seen that from him earlier in the game, then it's not just trying to send him a message. It's okay. I'm going to send out 
Carlo and Lindholm super often and, you know, mix in the other guys. But if you don't trust him in those matchups for, for whatever reason that you saw earlier in the game, it's not just like, Hey kid, you're sitting. It's, it's like, no, we're putting the guys out there that we think give us a better chance to win. So I think that's a different, there's, there's a distinction to be made between those two different kinds of benchings. I would agree with that. I, I would say the only benching that would really catch my eye or rub me the wrong way is if he gets sent back down to Providence, because as long as he's at the NHL level, like that's kind of what I care about right now. I want to see him just continue to get these reps and, and, and develop at this level because clearly, clearly, even though he's having some defensive mishaps, he's able to keep up with the, with the NHL pace of play and contribute um, at the same time offensively. So he just needs to some, you know, like for example, there was a play where I'm trying to remember which goal it was, but uh, it may have been, I forget which goal, which Dallas goal it was, but basically he, 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 chased Jamie Ben into the corner and just like he was out of position and realized he was out of position and tried to get back to the front of the net or, or Jamie Ben was in front of the net. He was chasing a Dallas star in the corner, realized he was in the wrong stopped, tried to get back. But by that time it was a little bit too late. The shot already got into the net and, and it was tipped in. So some of it's just like film, like just like re- remember where you're not supposed to be in, in your own zone. Um, and it's nothing too crazy, but, I if if the Bruins send him back down to Providence and something like a, a Mitchell or, or Witherspoon is still up, like that's a benching I would be upset about. But other than that, I didn't I didn't really have an issue with that in game. To Bridges' point, um, it was kind of a circumstantial best chance to win right now uh, defensively. Yeah, I as we sit here right now, I still want to see him get basically the trial until Grizzly comes back, which. Won't be until after Thanksgiving. But as I said in the last pod, though, like if if like three or four tough games start to pile up, then I do think you could see him sent down before then. Um, you know, I hopefully, obviously, he bounces back, plays better the next game, and you don't have to worry about that. But, you know, it, it, it will become an interesting conversation when Grizzly returns if – the Bruins are completely healthy on the back end at that point, because I do think if there aren't like significant strides over these next couple of weeks, I do think you could see him get sent back down at that point. And, you know, I just feel like, I feel like fans should, should prepare for start preparing for that now, because I think a lot are going to get mad if, and when it happens. Um, but, you know, there are clearly things that he, still needs to work on and, and that are still developing. And, you know, I know like, like Ty Anderson made the point on Twitter of like, he gets benched in a close game, in the third period last night in Boston, because the coach doesn't trust him in Providence. He gets to play that entire third period and help the team close it out and learn how to do that. Like you can't, you have to actually like play in those situations to learn how to do it. But Bridget, to your point, like Montgomery is just doing what he thinks he has to do to win the game. So if that means not throwing Lori out there to let him, you know, learn through experience and growing pains, then so be it. Like he's he's just trying to get two points. But how do you um in that circumstance, right? So you mentioned 
in Providence, he's he's playing in those moments, not sitting on the bench. Okay. Well, he's got two points in three NHL games, his first three NHL games. Let's say by the time Grizzly comes back to full health, say he's got like 10 or 12 games under his belt, and he's got like eight or nine points. How do you how do you how do you send that down to Providence? Not just let let him try to keep developing at the NHL level. Maybe you spot maybe you maybe just keep being selective with his ice time and 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 his situational play. I know you want to get him playing in all circumstances. I get it, but um, how do you hypothetically say say he's got like seven to nine points in ten to twelve games? How do you send that down to Providence? I if if with those numbers you don't. If those are the numbers and you don't, I think what you want to see is just building different parts of his game as time goes on. Um, and I will point out that his two points already tied with Lindholm's two points. Um, Cause Lindholm got his second assist in, in the game in Dallas. Um, same. He has the same amount of points as Forbert, uh, Shattenkirk, Mitchell, all of those defensemen are kind of sitting around that, that same location in, in the two point uh, category. So, yeah, he's already in three games been able to do that. I think that the issue is just having him work on certain things that if you don't if you don't feel like risking him out there, you might rather have him work on those things in Providence. Um, that that's the only I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough, but yeah, well, and, and then along the same lines of what I just said about like playing in all situations. What if he's getting bumped off the PK when Forbert returns? What if he's getting – he's played very little in the power play anyways up in Boston. He has gotten a, a little bit of time in the second unit. But what if that's completely gone once McAvoy returns? Because now you have McAvoy, Lindholm, Shattenkirk all ahead of him. Like, Mason Lori long-term, if he reaches a ceiling, projects as someone who's playing in every situation across the board. So in Providence, he's doing that. If he's up here and he's not really getting PK time and he's not getting power play time and he's not really trusted in tight games where you need to preserve a lead, like at some point, I I think it makes a lot of sense to send him back to Providence. But again, he he still has a couple weeks here to prove that he can get better in those areas and, and, he's absolutely still has an opportunity to earn a regular lineup spot and stick even after Grizzly comes back. I think Brian, your point though, was that what if he's showing the defensive deficiencies, but still getting involved enough in the offense to like, hold on to the spot. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. But also I don't, you know, I don't see a guy who's got awful defensively in, in these three games so far. He's had a couple of mishaps, but I, I haven't noticed a player who's been, you know, making his team like him. Like he's still good in transition. He's it's his first three games. Um, I wouldn't say he's been a a liability every time he's out there. Just a couple of moments here and there, but he's also canceled those out with some production. Um, you know, also like the whole going down to the to the AHL to play more minutes and in, in all situations. I totally understand that. I do. Um, what I would say is. And I'm not comparing the players necessarily, obviously, but you know, how much time in Providence did Charlie McAvoy have? And how much time in Providence did Brandon Carlo have? Did Carlo play a whole season in Providence? I don't think so. 
Um, so no, like, I, I think he he made the team at a camp after the rookie development camp that season. Right. So so it is possible to have a, a player of a certain uh, skill set um, learn on the fly in in meaningful games in at the NHL level. And so to to make a comparison to what you're saying, Carlo did that with Chara. And I feel like there's a similar, like, Lori could do that with Carlo. I, I feel like there's well, a similarity between the, those players' size, um, their reach, what they could learn from each other at that level. I get what you're saying, Ryan. Yeah, my my counter would be that Lori is a different player than McAvoy and Carlo and has a different back. He didn't switch from forward to defense until he was 16. Like, that's kind of late in his development. It's part of the reason why he didn't get drafted the first year he was eligible, but he's, he's a different kind of player. You know, McAvoy comes up through the U S development program and plays at BU. Like that's, he has a much stronger foundation. Um, and anyone kind of who build comes from BU is uh, NHL ready. Yeah. To Scott. Cause that's where Scott went. Clearly. Yeah. I, I was NHL ready when I left BU. Of course. Uh, and then you're in the big leagues now, Scott. So you're, you're proof right there. I mean, and, was it- Car- and Carlo and Carlo was defense was always the strength of his game. So he at least had that. And you know, the, the hope was like his offense would develop and it has a little, but obviously, you know, never quite came like super far along. I, I, I think Brian's point was more that that's an option of how to get him to NHL speed um, alongside. And I think in this case, it's important. It's important to clarify. You need him playing on a pair with a a decent partner, right? If he's out there with Mitchell and and not to be mean to Shattenkirk, but I don't think like he needs to be out there with Carlo really. Um, And then, but so to think about it, when, when McAvoy comes back, and Forbert comes back, what do the pairs look like? Like, who's he next to that we're going to see what he can do um, for the next few games before Grizzly comes back? Because that that's going to be a big factor in how he does as well. That's a good point. I also think that there are just certain players that I just think are above the AHL. And I think Lori, I just think he's already there. Like, I see him benefiting more from trying to defend NHL stars and caliber players than I do him getting minutes against, you know, a first liner on Hershey who, you know, can't crack Washington's lineup. Like fundamentally you can learn things, but I just think, I just think he's a special player. He's a special talent. And I just don't think the NHL lights are too big for him. I just think he has to, he just has to learn on the fly a little bit. I don't think every prospect or players capable of learning on the fly at the NHL level. I think he's one of them. I think just like I thought McAvoy was in Carlo and I know they're all different players and came from different backgrounds and you can say what you want about him starting a defense at 16, but I just think that certain players can get away with learning on the fly at the NHL level. And I think he's one of them. That's the only point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. And Bridget, you're, you're right to point out the pairings. Like I I don't think, he's been done any favors being paired with Ian Mitchell or even honestly, even Shattenkirk who I thought that first game against Toronto when they ended up together in like third period and half the second period, they played well together in that game, but 
but since then, like that, they've just not looked very good together. So I do think when for when Forbert comes back, your third pairing should be Forbert and Shattenkirk. And then Laura should be with either Carlo or McAvoy, is what I would do. Um, most likely you're going probably going Lindholm Carlo, because as we've as we've seen, Montgomery is he's he's almost too addicted to that pairing for his own good. Like even when he even when he wants to mix things up and like spread the wealth around a little, it's just so it's like, and I get it. They're one of, if not the best shutdown pairings in the NHL. So when you're facing uh, a top line that has Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski and Rupe hints on it, or Dylan Larkin and Alex to it on it, or Austin Matthews on it. Like, yeah, it's almost like, duh, why wouldn't we use our shutdown pairing? But on the other hand, it does, it does end up like hanging Laura out to dry. So getting McAvoy back certainly helps with that because I do think you can put Laura and McAvoy together and give them, you know, sort of more offensive zone shifts, manage them that way. If you want to keep Lindholm Carlo as your shutdown pairing. And that should obviously help Laura. Yeah. And it's going to get him more playing time. It's going to be, he's going to be out there because he's out there with McAvoy and that's going to be a pair that, that gets a lot of ice time. So you're not only are you letting him play minutes that he's, he's comfortable with playing big minutes. He's probably more comfortable with that than, than sitting for extended stretches of time. Like part of his game has always been eating up a lot of minutes. So you might be putting him in a more natural spot in more ways than one to play his game at the best of his ability. Um, so that could be a completely different look. And obviously we're three games in and he's had some, some ups as well as the downs. So um, if you could just kind of be a little bit more consistent um, on the back, back end of things, I think he's still your best option to stick around. Um, we've gotten a lot into the defense though. And I did mention, I want to talk about the third line um, and, and the, the top six as well, but just working well, we're kind of like working from the fourth line to the third line, second, first. Um, so I wanted to talk about the Potra line and get your thoughts on what it looked like. Because in the second period, they had a, they had a few shifts, one in particular that was really good. But Potra was getting his ass kicked. Like he took a high stick to the face. He just took a bunch of hits along the boards. He got knocked to the ice. Like he was just getting his butt kicked and he's on that line with Frederick and coach Montgomery said, we're going to put him with Frederick. It should, you know, help discourage things like that. But we're talking about clean hits. We're talking about clean plays. He's not getting targeted. This is just what the NHL is like. And I'm noticing him kind of fighting through it and, and having to figure out a way around that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, certainly nobody is not going to stop playing hard hockey on somebody because Trent Frederick's out there, right? Um, and I, I know you're not suggesting that, obviously, but yeah, like he's going to, again, this is similar to what I was mentioning with Lori. Like, this is what you want. You want him to, you want him to learn and to, and to play through this, and you want him to learn the NHL level. And it's, it's easy to look at Patra having, what is it? Uh, let me see here. What's he got? Seven. Seven points in twelve games. I mean, that's that's for a nineteen-year-old. It's 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 beyond impressive. 
And so sometimes you you see seven points in 12 games and you think, well, this kid's got it all figured out. He doesn't. He's still he's still learning. He's still learning the speed. He's still learning the strength of the players. What's impressive is that he's still being a very effective and productive player while learning all this. But, you know, a game like last night, it's like, yeah, let that happen. Let him learn on the fly. But uh, no, Trent Frederick will not be um, somebody who's going to make people not not play hockey against against Patra. But again, that's good. Let, let him continue to, to grow and develop. Yeah, I, I haven't. I kind of mentioned this in the last podcast, like Patra's production on Saturday came away from his usual line. And I didn't love that line again on Monday, Frederick, Patra, geeky. I thought, thought they were really quiet for the most part, spent a lot of time in their own zone. And that's two games in a row of that. Um, you know, yes, there are, they're road games against good teams, but guess what? That's what happens in the NHL. Like you don't, you don't get to pick and choose matchups all the time. So, um, you know, a, a really good third line is a line you feel like you can throw out there against anyone, or you feel like, you know, they're not going to be disadvantaged in, in any matchup. And that line I sort of think has been on, on the losing end of some matchups when, Detroit and then Dallas were able to get their top lines out against them. Um, so I think I don't want to say like I'm totally giving up on that line because I'm I'm not. And and I think the top six has shown some potential, even though you know maybe the the goal totals haven't been there. So I would be okay with Montgomery for once, like actually just letting things ride and not, you know constantly throwing everything in a blender but i do think that line has to be better than it's been the last two games and i haven't bridget to specifically answer your question i haven't loved that line conceptually since it's been put together like i i I think that iron sharpens iron and i don't i look at i look at trent frederick and i look at morgan geeky and i kind of see you know two big bodies but neither one is the fleetest of foot um they're certainly not getting up and down the ice with a ton of quickness and they don't have a lot of flash to their game or a lot of uh they can't really create offense out of nowhere like somebody like a brad marshand or a jake debrusque or somebody you know obviously Pasternak in the top six like those guys i just think you gotta sometimes if you want to get the best out of a player you got to put them around players that help them optimize their skill set i don't think that's trent frederick and morgan geeky for matt patra no and and to, to that point the biggest asset that Matt Potter can bring is his hockey IQ. Well, you have to have guys that are, uh, that are thinking what he's thinking and on the same page. Are, are so you calling he, Trent Frederick and Morgan geeky dumb? No, I'm not. <laughs> She's not calling them smart though. I'm saying you need people that are thinking the game. They have to know what each other is thinking in, before, before the play is made. Like you, you have to know, okay say you're Matt Patra. Okay. I know Marshawn's going to be here, but he also has to be expecting you to look for that pass the same way. So um, you do it conceptually. It seems like you're better off putting him with players who have that kind of IQ as well, that are aware of where, of what each other want to do. Um, and you're better off playing that kind of a, a line consistently together so that they can build 
up even more and more of knowing where each other wants the puck and, and wants to be on the ice. So um, he did look better in his shifts with the, you know, with Pasternak, obviously, and with, with Zaka and at times with Marshawn. So I mean, he's going to look better next to better players. Everybody is. But he's also able to show off his skill set. The the question becomes, who's the better setup guy for Pasta? Like, do you do you trust Van Riemsdyk in the the dynamic that they have with Zaka as a better setup? Because I thought that that line was, I, I thought that Pasta was a little bit quiet. He had one shot on the power play off the post, but in terms of trying to activate Pasternak's offense, I I didn't think they did that a lot in the Dallas game until maybe. Patra is somebody that's looking to set him up in different ways. Um, I thought that the, they could have done better. At, in, and I'm not saying that's Van Riemsdyk's fault at all. He's a completely different style player. He's somebody that's going to the net. But it's a totally different dynamic when it was Patra on that line with Zaka and, and Pasternak. So just to kind of um, finish up some of these opening opening shifts, and then we want to we wanna jump into a little bit of a – Brief mailbag, Scott. You look like you uh, you have something yeah. to say. Quickly on Potter, because part of this, part of this equation, and Montgomery mentioned it when he moved Potter back to the third line, is they're trying to manage his minutes. Because I think when he was up on that first line, he had back-to-back games over seventeen minutes, and I'm sure Potter felt great. He's 19 years old, like you know, of of, of course, but. The Bruins also know he's never played an NHL season. He's never played 82 games. And at some point, he is going to hit a wall. So they're they're trying to manage it leading up to that. And, you know, try to limit his minutes a little bit. Um, and part of that is moving him down in the lineup. But, you know, it, it's... I think there are going to be times that where you're going to have to move them up in the lineup because you can't, you're not going to win much with an ineffective third line. And people, people on YouTube seeing Bridget and Brian smirking that we, we got a, we got a side check going on. That's distracting me. I should just answer that. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Ignore us. Ignore. We're insulting Scott in the side check. I know. This, this is brutal. This, this is like, this is like, like on like the radio shows when like, um, one of the one of the producers would be doing trending and the host is just like talking in their ear to try to distract them. Oh, are you talking about what Fourier does to me every <laughs> single time? That is exactly what I was thinking start of. Dancing and start going, trying to mess me up. And then I turn around and I'm like, get out of here. And the radio Sorry. listeners have no idea what's going on. And I'm just like, because I'm yelling at them like, Fourier, get out of here. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Scott. We, we we didn't think you could see us. 